Hi, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Orange Juice Optional. And when I say the word friends, I'm also including my friend Suzanne. Hey, Suzanne, how's your day going? Pretty good. How's yours going, Michelle? Well, I have a story I have to tell you. Oh, great. Let's jump right in. And it's 100% something that just happened. (laughs) Okay. So my parents are in town. We're getting ready to sell our house. And so my dad, bless his heart, he wants everything to look perfect. So he has been power washing the house in the driveway for, I don't know, he came in yesterday and he's still working on the project. Super devoted. And I just have to give a shout out to him because he does listen to the podcast. Thank you, dad. I so appreciate it. Um, But anyhow, it's a beautiful day outside. And my mom and I decided to go for a walk. And my mom is a little timid about walking without some sort of protection here in Alaska because we have moose and we have bears to worry about. Right. So I um, found my bear spray and we were walking down the street. She's like, you don't even know how to use that thing. And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> so I flipped the top back and I, think oh, I scared her. I didn't set it off or anything, but I think I scared her. She jumped and I'm like, see, I'm prepared, mom. If a bear comes... I can protect us. So we go further into our walk and we turn down this one street. And right before we turn down the street, I'm like, great. If we're going to see a bear anywhere, because it was like, um, I added a little extra loop to the walk that we don't normally do. And I'm thinking as we turn onto the street, if if we're going to see a bear, it's going to be on the street. Sure the heck enough, like we're walking down the street and this woman yells to us, hey, ladies, do you hear those dogs barking down the way? A bear just passed by. So there was a bear right in front of us on the road. Oh, man. I know. There have been so many bear encounters. I'm not in Alaska, but you know, my two sons are both in Alaska right now. And every single day, they're sending me messages about them either seeing bear. Eric, my youngest son, works downtown. And he has run into a bear twice downtown where he's taken video of it. Like he parks, unbelievable. His, I know he parks his car, tries to walk to work. Who would think you'd run into a bear in downtown Anchorage? Well, he has twice, but every day there's a bear encounter story. The bear population is booming in Anchorage, Alaska. It sure is booming, and like that takes a lot of. I can't think of a better word, so I'm just going to use it. That takes a lot of balls for a bear to walk down the middle of a city, like the middle of a city street, right? So maybe like they just got used to the city streets when everybody was in lockdown for COVID. We'll blame it on COVID. (laughs) Well, and what is so interesting about this, I was going to say what's so funny about it, but it's not really funny, is that there was a homeless man sleeping under a tree and the bear literally was standing within a half a block from him. I mean, so close he could have just chewed the guy up and he was completely oblivious to the bear. I mean, it was pretty remarkable. And my son actually did call Fish and Game to say, hey, listen, there's a homeless man and a bear parked out under a tree. Wow. So that was the picture that Eric got was the one with the man under the tree. Yes. And the bear right there. Oh my yes. Gosh, that's so scary. I hate I know, that. I know. And But like Eric said, the homeless man, because he had a sleeping bag over his head, I was completely unaware of the bear literally right next to him. So, and the bear was obviously oblivious to the homeless man because he would left him alone. Oh gosh. Yeah. I don't take my chances on the bear being oblivious. I I needed to walk with my bear bells today and I didn't do that, but I had my spray. So I felt pretty safe. That was my experience. And I, I probably shouldn't have told you that knowing that you're coming to Alaska at the end of this week, but I want you to be safe, Suzanne. That's what a good friend does. That is what a good friend does. And that being said, the kids also ran across, this is over by our house, by the way, when they were out on a walk, ran across a baby moose carcass. Uh, yeah. And Fish and Game said that it had been killed by a brown bear. And that was probably... I don't know, three or four blocks from our house. So yep, the bear out there. But you are a good friend to warn me about the bear. Right. Just one of those joys of living in Alaska. And, you know, if we're going to talk about wildlife, I'm just going to go ahead and share this, although less threatening. But the other morning I woke up, uh, Rob had sent me a picture from downstairs. There was a moose 
bedded down in our backyard. And it was just a small moose. It wasn't this year's calf. But yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool to see. I, I like to see those, but I don't try to pet them because they are not for petting. Although they would probably let you pet them, but it's a stupid idea. <laughs> oh, no. Did I ever tell you that story? No. About um, our friend. We were having a party and this was several years ago because our kids were much younger. So we had, I don't know, Cameron, I'll just say he was probably 13 14 and we had a party. And so we had a lot of kids there. We had a lot of adults there. Of course, there were libations there. And one of our friends, we now call him the Moose Whisperer, which his real name should have been like, you're lucky you didn't get killed by a Moose Whisperer. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But he decides there's a moose in our yard and it's a big bull moose. And he decides that he is going to entertain the kids and everybody at the party by approaching this moose and trying to pet it. So stupid. And so he walked closer and closer and the hair on the back of that moose's back and head standing straight up. And yeah, he didn't pet it, but I'm like, what are you doing? You're going to traumatize everybody here at this party. Right. And it's incredible because we have so many moose encounters and they are a relatively docile animal. It's just that they're so big that one kick could kill you because they're so big. But um, they are pretty docile. But yeah, you just, that's so stupid. (laughs) Right. Especially if they have babies with them. Do not mess with a mama and her baby moose. Right. Yeah. Not a good good thing here in Alaska. So if anyone out there is coming to visit Alaska, those are my pointers for today. And have I told you about the first time my daughter brought her future husband to Alaska? And at that time, the moose population was so big. And I drove out to the airport to pick them up. And I saw probably seven moose on the way to the airport to pick them up. And I was like, great. Matt will get to see a moose right away. He'll get off the plane. We'll drive home. I can point out the moose. He was in Alaska for eight days and we never saw a moose. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? How can we? I saw seven of them on the way to the airport. Eight days later, I take them back to the airport. Not a moose to be seen. I drive home and four or five of those same moose reappear. It's like, you know, life is not fair sometimes. No, and that's how it goes. I don't know why it's like that, but that's always how it goes. Visitors are so excited to get up here. They ask you if you see moose and you're like, yeah, all the time, like they're everywhere. And then they don't see one. Yeah. And I think that's more common than not that you don't see one. And Jeff always says he can find a moose for anyone to see. And that trip, he he could not even find a moose for Matt to see. I mean, Matt has been lucky enough to be in Alaska a few more times. He's seen plenty of moose, but that trip he did not. So, And now he's probably over it. Yeah, he's like, oh, so what? Although Katie and Matt were just in northern, in the Blue Ridge Mountains for a weekend getaway. And they had rented a little cabin in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And lo and behold, there was a black bear right by their cabin in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Georgia. I know, right? Just... Standing outside the cabin, (laughs) moose everywhere. Yeah. I said, I have a million wildlife stories, but we'll leave it at that and maybe get on with our podcast. So what's the subject today, Suzanne? Why don't you introduce it or (laughs) reintroduce it or continue it? Well, we left off on a recent podcast. We were having such an animated conversation about what makes a good friend And you left me hanging with a question saying, okay, well, we're going to have to do Friends Part 2. So I think we're picking up where we left off on that particular podcast, although it's been long enough that I can't remember the cliffhanger question you left me with. So you're going to have to remind me. Uh, Really? (laughs) Is that your middle age show in there? (laughs) Yeah. You forgot the question? I did. Well, yeah, I did. I mean... (laughs) Tell me again. The question I left you with was about, and I'm probably not going to say it as well as I said it in the last podcast, but the question I left you with was in reference to having different friend groups. Like I have my Zumba friends, my book club friends, my company related friends, my spiritual friends, but 
I don't usually mix my group of friends. Like I have different groups of friends and they don't always overlap. Sometimes there's people who know others in other groups, but you know, I keep them kind of when friend groups collide. That is yeah, when friend groups collide. And I really, to be honest, am more of a one-on-one person. Like I really feel more comfortable when I can sit down with a person and have a one-on-one conversation rather than a group conversation. You'll get me much more animated and engaged one-on-one in a group setting. I kind of fall back and just listen because I feel overwhelmed. I get that. I don't enjoy group settings either. I feel like I get lost in the crowd when I'm in a group setting and I am like you. I much prefer that one-on-one conversation. And I like one-on-one conversations in a quiet place because if I'm in a crowded, loud restaurant or bar, I can't hear. Another middle-aged issue I deal with. Loss of memory, loss of hearing. Next, it'll be loss of eyesight. I don't know. But I can't hear. So I like to be in quiet settings, one-on-one. And that's when I really enjoy myself. And I agree with that. That's when I feel like I'm the best friend version of myself because I can really engage and ask the questions and feel that connection. Groups, again, a little bit harder. But one of the main reasons for that is, I guess, as you mentioned, settings. And then also how people arrange themselves or what the the seating is. Like if it's a round table, it might be easier than if it's a big, long rectangle table. And I always have a a rule because Rob loves one-on-one conversation to go sit at a bar and just talk. You know, he, he likes to sit at a bar anyway. He just likes that being close to the TVs and the action. But I really don't like sitting at a bar if there's more than two people. I agree. I'm not even sure why I'm I'm sharing this other than the person on one of the ends is always left out or the person in the middle is getting talked over. So it's just uncomfortable. So I think seating really plays into. Yes. So where do you choose to sit when you're at a group table? And let's say it's a rectangle table. Where do you choose to sit? Because I have a place that I always sit. I do not choose to sit in the middle. I choose to sit at the end of the table because, and I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, it's an easy escape (laughs) if I need to get away from the table. Or I do often, I drink a lot of Diet Coke and wine or champagne, and I do often have to get up and run to the bathroom. So I think I can sneak away a little easier if I'm on the end of the table. Well, and that's a good reason to pick the end of the table. Whereas I always will pick the middle of the table. And do you want to know why? I do. And it's a double-edged sword because I always think if I'm in the middle of the table, I can direct my conversation either direction. I can go left or I can go right. So if the left side of the table is having a conversation about, say, some sort of sports that I don't enjoy, I can shift my attention to the right side of the table and engage in that conversation. So I like to be in the middle so I have that option. But the problem with being in the middle is getting pulled both ways. Like you want to be part of both conversations. And when you're in the middle, you can hear both conversations. So that's where the double-edged sword comes in. Because it's not always good to be able to shift your attention. Sometimes you get trapped between two conversations. Right. And was that more of a problem when you could hear better? Or does it continue to be a problem? (laughs) I can't wait until I can say that to you when you're losing your hearing. No, it's, I can still hear. But if someone's talking to me directly in the left conversation, I probably can't hear them if there's conversation going on on the right side of the table. So it can be pretty distracting because I do have a little bit of a hearing problem. Right. And I do also have a little bit of a hearing problem. I, I felt okay saying that because I deal with the same issue too. But yeah, <laughs> but I mean, that could also go to you being the matriarch in your family and learning that through that, but also being a corporate wife too, and knowing when you go into those meetings, you have to give your attention several places. So probably a lesson that you've learned in several different realms of your life or several different avenues. Yeah, possibly. I think you're right. I think that 
you learn very quickly where the best position for yourself is when you're sitting in those group dinners. And the, the quick escape is a good reason to be at the end. And if I, <laughs> yeah, and I shouldn't be giving away all my secrets because if you find me at the end of the table, if I'm the first one that comes to the table and I sit at the end, you know I'm not looking forward to that dinner because I'm probably going to look for a way out. <laughs> and I knew that about you, Suzanne. I've been <laughs> yeah. to a lot of dinners with you. And I will just say this because I am a good wing woman, good friend, that I usually when we go to those dinners together, we sit together. So wherever you're sitting at the table, I sit somewhere close by. I was just going to say the same thing. We do kind of have that unspoken or spoken pact that we will sit close enough that we can engage in the same conversation at the table. That's very helpful. Yeah, except for those horrible dinners we've been to. And you cannot disagree on this one where they give us assigned seats. <laughs> they are the worst, the absolute worst. I think that, did that only happen to us once, really? It's been once or twice, but it was so bad. It kept me from going to the next couple dinners because there were two big rectangle tables and everybody I knew was at your table. Well, not everybody I knew, but most of the people that I knew well were sitting with you and I had one or two people with me at my table that I knew, but I was like, I want to be at that table. And I felt so left out. I had FOMO. Well, and I didn't consider the table I was at like any big prize because I was sitting with a lot of people that I didn't know very well. And that's a stressful place to be, trying to make conversation with people you don't know very well in a loud setting because we had a lot of people so yeah, it wasn't like I won the prize sitting at that table. <laughs> well, I thought you did. But you know, the other part of that coin is, is we go to these dinners and this particular dinner, they chose the slowest restaurant in Anchorage. Yes, they did. It was a four hour dinner. And then Rob, he felt sick during dinner. He wasn't feeling well. So he left me at the table. Right. Yeah. You remember that? I do remember that. I was not a happy girl. But hopefully I played it off and people couldn't tell I was upset. Well, no, nobody could tell you were upset. Until we bitched about it to each other the next day and told our husbands about it and it never happened again. Right. Yeah. So it was like, you get an assigned seat. You get an assigned seat. You get an assigned seat too. Yeah, it was um, uncomfortable because I am a person also that if I don't know you, I will be quiet. I will be polite. I will answer questions. I'll be engaging, but I will be quiet. You won't see the real me, I guess is what I'm saying until I get to know you. So um, if you don't know people at the table, they might think you're, or not you, because I'm talking about myself, they might think I'm a little standoffish and not very nice, which is not the case. It just is how it might come across. Well, we, I clearly come across as standoffish and I'm the same way. You because I, we talked about this in our last friend's podcast is that I, I am not very good at engaging in conversation, especially with people I don't know well. And so I oftentimes look standoffish. And several times I've been called out on that, where I've been called cliquish or standoffish or uninterested. And I have never honestly meant to be that way, but that's the vibe. I just give off. Yeah, you're bringing up so many more good memories because I think we got called clickish together. And yes, we did. We invited other people to join us. So I'm not sure where that came from. But anyhow, I guess we're just so much fun. <laughs> I know. And we, we've, again, really gone off on a tangent, but we could talk about clickish friends and how we feel about that. Although we haven't really even addressed our friend groups colliding. Right. And I figured we get back to it. We always get back to it before the end. Right. So if you want to talk about clickish friends now, we can, but I'm going to let you lead this charge to hear what you say first before I jump in. Well, first, I'm going to talk about the groups colliding, because whether you want it or not in your life, you have those like, yeah, you have your book club friends, you have your workout group friends, you have your work friends. 
that whole realm of people. And when you have a gathering and you want to invite everyone, not only do you have the pressure of being the host of the event, you have all your worlds colliding. And it can be so exhausting and so awkward. I've done it many times because I want to surround myself with my people, but you realize that all my people are not necessarily everyone else's people. So then people show up and then they're awkward, they feel uncomfortable. And yeah, it's just never a good situation. And I completely agree with that because you always go into a situation like, this is such a great idea. I am going to have all the people I love so much in one room. Yes. But you love them so much and you love different qualities about them. And not that they won't get along with everybody, but the people don't know each other in a lot of the cases. And it just makes for hoping you have extroverted people who have the gift of gab or that ease of conversation that can keep everything going. But it's much harder than it feels in the moment that you decide to do this thing. You're absolutely right. And I think the last time, which was probably a few years ago because of COVID and because of everything else, because I have no friends in in Scottsdale, really, that I have to worry about that. Yes, you do. Well, I don't have the lifelong friends that I had living in Alaska. But first, you're drawn to the people that you have things in common with. So in my book club, I have friends who are avid readers. And this book club's been together for 25 years. So we have a lot to talk about. We know each other's kids. We know everything about each other. But the friends in my book club are different than the things I have in common with my work friends. And would my work friends work well in my book club? Probably not. So if I pulled someone from my work friends and plopped them into my book club friend, they would feel uncomfortable because they wouldn't know anyone. And then it would be my responsibility to make sure they felt comfortable in my collided world. Right. It just puts a whole lot of undue pressure on a situation because you love all these people and you want them all to love each other, but they might not have so much in common. So I completely get what um, you are saying. Uh, One time it really stood out to me and still does, obviously, because I remember it all these years later, is my 40th birthday party. I had a wonderful friend who put together a beautiful evening for me and invited friends from all different aspects of my life. And I was overwhelmed because I felt like I was the common link and I had to talk to everybody and keep the conversation going. And yeah, it it stressed me out, but I was so happy that everybody showed up too. Right. So it could maybe be a blessing that you didn't have the 50th birthday party that you were going to have, but it just didn't happen because of COVID. And maybe that's for the better. Maybe you have smaller celebrations throughout the whole year. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of that, actually. But, you know, there are some people I would really like to introduce to one another because I think they love each other. But again... That's what I say now, but as it gets closer, I'm going to be like, I really hope I called this one right, because if not, that's going to be like stressful. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so we've talked enough about our friendships colliding. No, but I have more. Oh, I have something more I want to say kind of off that, but kind of with that still, just a good place to put it. Okay. Being in Alaska, Anchorage is such a small town that, you know, even if you know somebody from one group. I might know them from another group. And so that's a a commonality. And the idea of getting the three of, let's say, us together, since we all know each other in one way or another, seems appealing. But have you ever found that like when you have a friend and you get that one-on-one interaction with them, and then they have their one-on-one interaction with somebody else, but when you get into the group, the setting of three or four, let's say, the dynamics change? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to add there because I have a some friends and I know one person and very well, very good friend of mine. And we always have a great time together. And I've met this other person that she also knows. Now, when we're one-on-one, it's really good and the conversation flows and it's so natural and comfortable. But when the three of us get together, it just feels staged. It feels forced. Not right. Yeah. Forced is a good word for that. Yep. I know exactly what you mean. So I just wanted to add that before we moved on to the next thing you were going to say, which was 
Now I can't remember because of my old age. I can't remember. <laughs> I think you were going to talk about clicks, maybe. Oh, right. Clickish friends. Yes. Okay. I don't consider myself a clickish friend, but there was when I lived in Alaska, when I had lived in Alaska for 20 years, most of my adult life, and I had a good group of friends, you know, from my kids' school, you know, school parents from book club, from playgroup, from Bunko, all those groups. And I had a really good group. I really lost interest in meeting anyone new because it's like, I have enough in my life. I don't want to put out an effort. So I have a feeling that maybe I was perceived as cliquish because I was uninterested. It's probably not really that you were interested like you're saying it's probably you just had limited time and you already found your tribe to hang out with. And so beyond that, you didn't have the energy for it or the time you were raising kids. Right. But if you're a newcomer coming into that and you want to make new friends and you need to make new friends, someone like me would be, or someone like one of the groups I was friends with would be a hard nut to crack because we're established And that would be a click. We're established. My book club is a perfect example. It's an established, well-run book club. Women who have been together for 25 years. And along the way, once or twice, we have tried to bring in someone new into the book club. And it was a disaster. We brought a few people in that it worked beautifully. And they, they clicked. They knew how to fit in, how to work with this group that's been together for a long time. But if you're bringing in someone brand new into a group that's been together for 25 years, it is tough. And I don't think I was aware of it at the time, how difficult that is. But looking back, I definitely have a lot of empathy for the people who tried to fit in and just weren't accepted by this group of people who were together for 25 years. Yeah, I absolutely get what you're saying. And I think we talked about it a little bit in the last episode. Like you, I also moved to Alaska during high school and it was very hard to find a group of people to fit into because they had their lifelong friends at that point, you know, 17, 18 years and here's a newbie. So I never went the way of clicky. I just found people I liked. And if I liked them, they were my friend. And I didn't care if in school, they were considered a bookworm or the most popular person in the school, or I'm trying to think of different names, the jocks. If I liked you and had something in common, yeah, I just was friends with you. And it didn't matter about the bigger picture, I guess. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I was going to give an example for me being on the flip side of that clickish group. And fortunately, I was invited to join this card group because my family has a game. It's called 500. And I honestly believed that my family, my extended family, were the only people on earth who actually knew of this card game. A woman came into my store one day. This was a few years ago. And she was looking for Bunko gifts for her Bunko group. And I said, oh, I used to be in a Bunko group. And we started chatting. She goes, well, I should do this for my 500 group. And it's like 500 and I got so excited. And so they invited me to come play with them. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. But this group of women that played 500 together was like my book club. They had been playing 500 together for 10, 15 years. And I was the newbie coming in. And they were all very nice to me. But I never felt like I was part of them because they knew each other so well. They had all of this history together, but they would invite me to other things. They would take me to other events. So in that way, they were very good at including me, even though I really never was a part of them just because they were longtime friends. So you kept showing up though. You kept accepting the invitation. So that's good. Yeah, because I love playing that card game so much. And the only time I ever get to play it is when I'm with family. And unfortunately, I was just thinking about this group um, the other day because they probably have gone back to playing 500, but have not reached out to me because they had to shut everything down during COVID. And so they didn't play for like 18 months. And I was just thinking about that group the other day. It's like, hmm, 
I wonder if they're back to playing 500. I'm sure they so, are. So what does that mean, Suzanne? What can you do to reopen, revisit that group? Or if you want to, you can call them. I could call yeah. them. Do you think you will? Um, not at this point, maybe this fall, but not quite yet. I don't want you self-isolating because of anything, because I want you to have friends. When you said <laughs> earlier, you have no friends in Scottsdale, that made my heart hurt. Because and, Well, and I do have friends in Scottsdale. Thank you. <laughs> but I don't have those lifelong friends in Scottsdale. They, you know, I don't have my people in Scottsdale, but I do have people that I enjoy very much. Okay. That's what I like to hear. And I knew we would get around to this. So, <laughs> yes. So, you bring up an interesting point. Meeting new people is always a challenge just because, you know, personalities and stuff and the time you have to invest in starting from that new place, obviously. But when you move to a new town at an older age and meeting new people, like that is a challenge also. It is. And I go back to one of our very first podcasts in case someone didn't hear it. It's go back and listen if you didn't hear it. Right. <laughs> I always refer to any new situation as consider it your freshman year. <laughs> and oh, yeah, I remember that. Yes. Podcast. Moving to a new town, you have to have your freshman year being in your new town. You're not going to have friends. You're not going to make friends easily. It's going to be hard to find where to meet those people. You have to find the places you like to go. You have to rediscover everything. But it's just like being a freshman in college. It's like you have to rediscover it. And maybe not exactly like being a freshman in college because as a freshman in college, you're surrounded by other freshmen who are doing the exact same thing you are. But I still consider it your freshman year. Every new adventure is your freshman year and you have to give it a year to explore it, to get used to it, to get to know it. And it happens naturally after a year. Or after 12 years. <laughs> because <laughs> we've been going to Havasu now for 12 years. I think not spending a lot of time ever up until COVID. There are a week here, a week there, just when we could get down there. But when we would go visit in the very beginning, we always had people come visit us. And so we didn't really have time to make new friends because our time there was so limited. And we're like, oh, well, our friends are coming to visit us. So yeah, we're cool. We're, we're entertained. But like 12 years later, I still find myself saying that <laughs> or using it as a crutch of some sort because I don't need a whole lot of outside entertainment. My parents are there. My mother-in-law's there. I have some close friends there. And so I kind of try just to not fill my calendar too much. And that's usually the excuse that I still use 12 years later. Right. But there's a big challenge to having two locations because, yeah, when you felt like you were visiting Havasu, I mean, how many times do you go on vacation and actually try to make new friends while on vacation? It feels temporary and you go back to your other life. And when you're living in two places where you spend six months somewhere and six months somewhere else, that's a whole different challenge because, yeah, you have to regroup. You have to get into your groove in that second location. And then when you go back to the first location, which I will have to face next week, you know, reintroducing yourself to your old location. And it's a challenge. It really is a challenge because when you're in the newer location, you're finding out all about it again, the freshman year and adjusting to a routine there. But then you're missing out also on the things your friends are doing back home. And that is really hard. And I think I've shared this before that coming back to Alaska, I thought everybody would have forgotten me because I had missed out on so much. And I know last year was COVID. And so everybody missed out on that group gathering time. But even before then, missing out on birthdays or monthly book clubs, it, it just, I was mourning it because I felt like I was so missing out. Right. And I definitely felt that way. My book club takes an, an well, we have a couple annual trips that we take. We take one to a little community 
in Alaska, Soldovia. It's an island off of Homer. You have to fly or take a boat to it. We always spend a weekend there in the summer. In the winter, one of the women in book club has a little cabin in Girdwood, the skiing community in Alaska. And we always spend a weekend there. And before COVID, they were introducing the idea of spending a weekend here in Scottsdale. Well, the book club was just in Soldovia for their summer weekend. And oh, yeah, I had FOMO. <laughs> I had big time FOMO, like, oh, I wish I was there. I wish I could have been there. And But yeah, it just didn't work out this year. But feeling like they're moving on without us. Yes. And even the idea of when they're all together, well, maybe I'll FaceTime or I'll Zoom call in or something. It's still different. It is different. But they're trying and I'm trying. So there's an effort there also. Which is nice. And I didn't try. I mean, I feel that that ends up kind of being obligatory. It's like, yeah, you know, they're fine without me. They're having a good time without me. I don't need to be a part of every single event they have. And I know that when I'm back, if there's a book club, if I'm in town, they always invite me. I'm always included. And I just have to remind myself, I don't have to be at every event. I can just be there when I'm there and have just as much fun than when I'm not there. So true. And this is going to go off topic a little bit. Zoom calls. Can I just say how much I hate seeing myself on that freaking screen? I do. It distracts me. I, I like, I can never find the perfect angle. I always look or like a wrinkled raisin or something. And it just distracts me. I hate having my camera on. This happened to me last night. And I did laugh at myself. You're going to laugh at me too, because I was FaceTiming with my one-year-old grandson. And I didn't like how I looked. And I found myself fixing my hair in the FaceTime picture of me. I was fixing my hair while I'm talking to my one-year-old grandson. Like he cares how my hair looks. He's the only person I'm talking to on FaceTime. And I find myself, ooh, Suzanne, your hair is kind of a mess. You need to straighten that out a little bit. I was like, seriously? That is funny because it's probably the one time he's engaged and really talking to you and you can't even enjoy it because you're like, oh, I have a hair out of place. What? Yeah. Yeah. Ray, like, what? What's going on? I know. Well, and that's what I was doing. It was like, oh, I look better if I take my glasses off. I'm going to take my glasses off. And oh, wait, is that a new wrinkle on my forehead? It's like, whoa. And I'm thinking, I'm talking to a one-year-old. <laughs> Why am I looking at myself in this FaceTime? It's like, it's not about me. <laughs> But clearly it is. So you make a very valid point when it comes to Zoom calls and FaceTime and Google Duo. Yeah, you have to deal with all that. Not a fun look for me. No. I'm not killing the Zoom look yet. I've got to figure it out. And you see all these add-ons to your computer where you can buy lights and you clip them onto the top of your computer. And so you look a little bit brighter and I'm like, I need to do that. But that's a lot of invested energy. <laughs> that is. Well, and a lot of times you do that with your phone, don't you? Zoom? Yes. A lot of times I do with my phone because half the time the technology on my computer doesn't work. Right. So the phone is just easy. And yeah, I sit there the whole time moving angles. I'm sure I'm giving the person like motion sickness or something. <laughs> I do remember that when my son was in Europe back, way back when he was in college and FaceTime was brand new at that time. It was hilarious because he would try to FaceTime with me, but he has a little bit of ADD, so he couldn't sit still. So <laughs> He would be trying to FaceTime with me, but that camera would be all over the room because he was moving constantly. And it's like, I kept saying, just sit still for five minutes. Just talk to me for five minutes. But he would be all over the place. But that was when it was all new and we didn't quite have the knowledge we have now. Yeah. And I think we kind of talked about that yesterday. I talk and walk too. Right. Yeah. So I, I get that energy that he's burning and the need to do that. And I will say the only person I FaceTime with on a regular basis is my son Colton, because that is his preferred method of communication. And his background is always changing when he's not playing video games. And I just see the top of his head because he's put the phone down so he can play video games and talk at the same time. There we go. That's funny. That's really funny. Hey, 
Um, way off topic, but a shout out to Colton because I saw on social media that he landed a new job. He just graduated from college and he already has a new job. Congratulations to him. Thank you so much. Like, I am so incredibly excited. He called me, FaceTimed me yesterday. He's like, guess what, mom? And I'm like, you got a job. Just joking. And then I couldn't hear him respond because like the screen froze up or something and he's still talking to me. And then he's like, aren't you excited? I'm like, I didn't hear what you said, but I'm hoping you said you got a job. And he said, I did. And so, yes, uh, not only did he get a job, but he got a job in Colorado. So he'll be moving. I will actually be moving him to Colorado. We're doing a road trip. Oh, fun. Which I think I may have mentioned before that he's moving to Colorado, but now he's moving to Colorado with a job in place. Right. And I know that you and I had talked previously that realistically, for any one of our kids, when they get out of college, we're happy if they land a job within, you know, six months to a year after graduating, because a lot of times it takes that long to find that good position. So he literally just graduated a month and a half ago, and he already is starting a new job. I mean, that's incredible. Good for him. Yes. And I'm so incredibly proud of this child. He's got the biggest heart and he has taken a position working in a program with people who have autism. It sparks joy in his heart to help and to be present in that. And so, yeah, I'm really, really proud of him. Yeah, it's very exciting. So on to his next chapter in his life. Anything else you want to add to our conversation about friends? I do just want to add something. Every time you say the word Friends. I think of the sitcom Friends. And I think we joked about how we should have had the music when we started this episode playing in the background or something instead of our regular music. But yeah, I just think of that show. I do too. I thought the exact same thing. We were totally on the same page. And if I could sing, I would have come into the podcast singing. I'll be there for you, but I can't sing. So I can't do it. I can't sing it. Yeah, but you can say the words. I'll be there for you. Well, those are the only only (laughs) words. Those are the only ones I really remember too. I'll be there for you. I I, I honestly can't even think. I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) Jeff would know it. I know Jeff would be singing it right now. He'd be singing it for us. He sure would. He probably is in the background going. Yeah, if he could hear me, I kicked him out so he wouldn't interrupt me. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to share about friends or anything that you think we didn't cover? Maybe what makes a bad friend, but maybe that's another episode. I don't know if I could talk for a whole episode about what makes a bad friend, but we could touch on that. Yeah. I don't think you could either, because if I remember correctly, in the last episode, you said that you don't ever quit friends. You never divorce friends, or I can't remember the correct terminology that you use. That's right. But I think that's what I said. I said, I don't quit on my friends, or I don't divorce friends. Once they're my friend, I consider them my friend forever. And I'm not always the best at making sure they know they're still my friend. (laughs) No, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, you're still my friend. I don't actually reach out and say, you're always going to be my friend. But in my heart, my friend is my friend. You don't that just that you just can't flip that switch off. And I fortunately have never had an experience, I'm racking my brain right now, where I've been in a situation that was painful enough to me where I've had to say, I've got to walk out of this person's life. I have to divorce this friend. Have you ever ghosted somebody? I don't know what ghosted means. Ghosted means like you just stop responding to them or stop talking to them without explanation. You just take a moment of pause, step back, and you don't respond. No, I haven't. I've had that done to me. I have a couple of friends who I always know if they're upset with me about something um, because they will ghost me, but I don't ghost people. I don't either. I just think there's a certain level of cruelness to it. I mean, it just is so mean. It is. And I get it. If you have to take pause from someone, if they've upset you or hurt your feelings and you have to take pause. But that being said, I I don't feel like I would ever just quit responding to someone for any reason. Yeah, I don't think I would either. Because with ghosting, it just comes 
with no ending or no reason why. You don't even know what you did to cause that distance. And I at least like closure. And I've had one or two people do that to me and it doesn't feel very good. So I just wanted to to touch on that. Well, that's a good thing to touch on because it's true. Because when I have been ghosted, now that I know there's a term for it, yeah, it's one of those things I will agonize over. Like, what did I do? What happened? What should I have done differently? You know, whatever I did, I don't think I meant to do it. I didn't mean to hurt anyone. And if they just shut off all communication with you, yeah, you're kind of left hanging. Like, okay, well. Yeah. And how do you navigate moving forward? What if you run into them in a social situation or do you keep reaching out? And how many times do you reach out before you're like, okay, they really are ghosting me. I mean, it just is so uncomfortable. So again, I really and friends value that directness or something there that would give a little closure as to what's going on. I just, yeah, that just kills me. Well, and like I said, I think I've been fortunate enough (laughs) that I am right now. I'm racking my brain thinking, okay, this is going to come back to haunt me. But I can honestly say two or three times I've had someone ghost me temporarily where they walked away from me. They eventually came back. And did you welcome them with open arms or was there a little bit of hesitation or a little bit of like, well, let's see how this goes? Not that you would say it to them, just feeling. No, I think that I became guarded with them. And I don't know if that ever goes away. Once you've been hurt by someone, my guard goes up. And it's like, I don't know if that ever diminishes. So the friendship does change, but I think I welcome them back. Right. Have you ever seen the show Jane the Virgin? Mm, I do not think I have. In the very first episode of that show, there was a demonstration done where the grandma took a beautiful flower and showed her granddaughter this beautiful flower and how perfect it looked. And then, you know, the premise was don't lose your virginity, don't give it up because, you know, then she crumples it and says you can never go back to how it was before. And That image sticks with me in this situation, too, because when somebody causes hurt or something happens that causes a change in the relationship, it gets wrinkled and it can't ever go back to that perfect state again. It has to change and it has to adapt to whatever's happened. Okay, but I have a real a a similar analogy because I think a MASH episode where it was Radar and what was Alan Alda's character, Hawkeye. And Radar idolized Hawkeye and they were good friends. And then Hawkeye did something that really upset Radar and it really hurt Radar's feelings. But then when they made up, the relationship evolved and it became stronger. And that is true too. And I think that is what a lot of times happens in those situations. Changes sometimes change and evolution of a friendship is a good thing because it makes the relationship stronger or more mature, maybe. Right. And it's necessary. Now, I get that side of it too. I guess I was just more talking about one of those behaviors that would make you take pause and say, Is this really bringing out the best in me? Or how has this changed just because? of a situation that's happened, because there are some situations you can't go back from. I guess that's more where I was going. But you are absolutely right when you talk about, you know, adults do get into arguments. And sometimes there are things that just have to be said, and then it gets stronger from there, because you get to that new level of understanding or that new level of like, okay, this is a true friendship, we can be ourselves. Right. But with all that being said, I think that realistically, even if the friendship evolves and becomes stronger. It takes a lot for me to let my guard down once it's gone up. So it would be a long process to get that relation back on track. I'm always confident I will get it back on track, but I'm going to be more guarded with that person. Right. I know you're not talking like just a simple disagreement over the type of wine that was open or ordered it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's more serious than that, that you're talking about, but right. So many ways to look at it. There really are. Yeah, well, I know one thing for sure that I am very thankful to have a friend like you because 
you do bring out the the best in me and you have all those qualities that I look for in a friend. You're honest, you're funny, you have good intentions and a big heart and our personalities, we have so much in common and we both invest the time. So thank you for that. And right back at you. I feel exactly the same way. We are great, great friends. And completely blessed. So I guess this is a good place to leave this episode on a positive note like that, where I'm yay, Susanna. <laughs> and I'm yay, Michelle. And I guess I'll just say cheers, friend. Cheers, my friend. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Orange Juice Optional. What many of you wouldn't know is that this podcast has been a shared vision of ours for many years. And knowing what we know now, I can't believe we've waited so long to make our vision a reality. Right? I really think the hesitation on our part came from all the unknowns of podcasting. The biggest unknown being the toughest one. Where do we begin? That's when we found Podigy and Riley. And you know, if we had Godsend music, I'd cue it right now. Riley is a know-everything-about-podcasting kind of guy, and the best part for us was that he was so nice and down-to-earth about everything. And by everything, I mean he answered so many questions, he gave so much reassurance, and he offered advice on things we hadn't even considered. Initially, Podigy helped us choose our recording equipment, find our music, create our artwork, and set up our templates for recording. And seriously, how many Zoom calls did setting up the templates take? Probably too many to count because we are technology challenged. But the best part of each one of those calls was the reassuring voice on the other end. I love that about Podigy. Now that our podcast setup is complete and things are running a bit smoother, knock on wood, Podigy is going to edit each upcoming episode, do our show notes, and get our show out there for the listeners. Their help takes so much off our plate that all we really need to worry about is our friendship, next week's topic, and if it's an orange juice needed kind of day. So if you're interested in podcasting, please don't let the unknown stop you. Please check out Riley at podigy.co. That's P-O-D-I-G-Y dot C-O. They have packages available based on each show's individual needs. Thanks again, Podigy. Our next toast is for you. Cheers. Cheers.